We are going to be finishing up the book of Acts today. We are in chapter 28. It's been all, all, uh, all year in the book of Acts, which has really been, I don't know about you, but it's been just a gift um, to me. So um, I heard a couple of woos. Hopefully that doesn't mean you're tired of the book of Acts, but um, it's a... Uh, it's hope not, because as we're going to see, this is still continuing on today. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 28 from 17 to the end, uh, which is verse 31. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. God, help us to be faithful in the hearing and the preaching of your word. God, remind us that it, to be faithful to the word means to be faithful to you. That it is you that we come to meet. It is you that we are listening to through your word. So help us, God. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, minds that would understand and hearts that would love what we see. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts 28, Paul is finally in Rome. In verse 17, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So pause there. This, this sermon really is like, as it brings this idea of the book of Acts to a conclusion, we want to just kind of figure out, like seeing some, some bookends here, there's some mirroring of what has happened through, uh, through Acts. And my hope is that it gives us a little bit of, of help and, and inspiration and motivation of how do we move forward? How do we, how do we continue to live this out? And what Paul has done here in, as he gets to Rome is he wants to kind of get ahead of things and he wants to let the Jews know, like his brothers, um, he wants to let them know that he's there and he wants to be clear about what has happened, why he's there in case they've heard anything. And what I think is fascinating is they've heard nothing. Like Paul, think about all the times that Paul goes into all these cities and every time he goes into a city, what happens? He meets opposition. He is arrested, he is defamed, he is beaten, he is, like, he is persecuted. He, all these things are happening. And he go, finally gets to Rome, he calls them together, and he's like, hey, you probably heard about this stuff, so let me just get ahead of this. And they're like, no, we haven't heard anything. Okay, well, then how about I share with you? And by the way, this is just a little side note. It can really feel like when you're in ministry, when you're doing life, when you're living the life of the church, and especially when God really gets a hold of you and starts putting you in places where you really get to love people and serve you, and then spiritual attack starts to come in, we can start to feel like everybody's against us. We start to feel like everybody's upset with us. Everybody, like everybody, um, you know, thinks ill of us for, for getting out there and for serving and for sharing the gospel. The reality is most oftentimes they don't. Most oftentimes, people do not think about you nearly as often as you think they think about you. And it's just the reality of life. And so it's just interesting here that we just have that little nugget in here that Paul is like, well, obviously you probably heard about me. And they're like, nah, nothing. What's your name again? And it's just a really good reminder of how big the world is and how big and how complicated people's lives are. And that most of us are just struggling just enough to get by on our own. We don't have a lot of time to give to worrying about others. Which, there's a sinful side of that as well, which we'll deal with. But it's just kind of a little, little nugget, little reality there. And so what he does is he ends up sharing with them. And he tells them why he's there. Why he is, what, what has been spoken against. Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great, greater numbers. 
From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Okay, remember that phrase? You know what we said? We said it like a year ago when we said this is going to come up over and over and over again. Some believed, others mocked. Some were convinced, but others disbelieved. This idea that every time the gospel is proclaimed, that some will believe and others will not. And it does not matter about how good we are at it, how well equipped we think we are, if we would have said something a little differently. People believing is a work of the Spirit. And yes, we should share the gospel winsomely and with skill, but that does not determine salvation. And so just setting that, here we are again. Paul expounds from morning until night, showing them, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. But also what we're going to see here is not only that kind of recap, that revisiting of that theme, but also we're going to see a revisiting of this theme that the most hardened people to the gospel are often the most religious. Look what he says in verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. This theme... It's so critical as we even are sent out and continue this story of Acts is that the people who are most offended by the gospel are almost always the people who are the most religious. Think about that. Our instinct would say it's the opposite. We want to paint a picture even in our culture that it's people outside the church that are the most aggressively anti the gospel. But what I have found in decades of ministry is what we see in scripture. That it is those who are the most religious who end up being the most anti-gospel. Think about the, the, the gospels, the life of Jesus. Who does Jesus get angry with? Where does he see the most opposition? It's never with those that people saw as the most obviously sinful. But it was always with the religious. He demonstrated that with speaking against people who presented themselves as holy, but inside are wicked. People who think they are the gatekeeper but they miss the point. People who heap loads and burdens on people and don't lift a finger to help them. Their hearts have grown dull. They cannot hear with their ears or perceive with their eyes. They miss what's right in front of them. And I think that part of this, as Paul re- reaches this conclusion and he revisits, um, Luke revisits this theme that has been going on since the beginning and honestly, like since creation. Because remember, the fall did not come in through someone who did not know God, but through Adam and Eve who walked with God. Their hearts have grown dull, they cannot hear with their ears, and they miss what's right in front of them. And it's a warning, both a reminder for us that we are not surprised when that happens among us, when we are not surprised when people that that we saw as very spiritual and very religious seem to be offended by the actual gospel, but we should also be on guard in our own hearts that we would not become dull. Because we don't just see it in the gospels, but as I said, it continues on in the book of Acts. And imagine Paul's frustration when the very people who should be most excited about the good news that he's preaching, that the Messiah has come, the long-awaited Messiah is here, those are the people who persecute him. 
They go so far as to enlist the Roman government to help them in their persecution of those who would follow Jesus. Imagine how painful that persecution would have been to Paul. Imagine how great the temptation for people in the early church to compromise the gospel that they had been given to appease the people that they saw as religious, that they saw as holy. Paul refused to do that. In Galatians 5, where this, one of the areas where he's writing about this temptation, he said, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And so this, the gospel, of, where the cross is the center point and the centerpiece, that's what was so offensive. And the danger that he's talking to in, in Galatia, that he's speaking to for the Galatians, is don't compromise this gospel to appease religious people. To appease the people that you have always seen as religious and think that they are the ones who know everything. They're the ones that are the gatekeepers and, and to, to bend the gospel to appease that. That danger that was then is still the same danger we face now. The pressure in the church and even as I help teach other pastors and hear experiences and, and coach other pastors and think about what's going on in their context all over, the big temptation is that we would preach a gospel that is acceptable not to the world, but to the religious. For Paul, the issue was circumcision. For pastors today, it is gospel of morals and values and principles Make no mistake, the gospel is centered around the cross. And the cross is offensive. Why? Because the cross tells us of our great need. The cross reminds us that we have nothing in ourselves that can achieve this righteousness or this holiness. We have nothing in ourselves that is not our own strength or our own will. And when you're talking about people who have created a world where they get to be the gatekeepers, where they get to master everything, where they have created the test that they can pass, and now here comes the Messiah proclaiming a kingdom of faith, not works, and Paul proclaiming that even his best works are nothing, that he counts it all rubbish, that his whole life is worthless without the resurrection. that we all are in desperate need of the cross. That it was offensive, and they hated him for it. By the way, if you want to know how Paul felt about those who would do that and purport this false gospel and lead people astray with it, um, you can read the very next verse after Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. Those of you chuckling know what's going on there. Just jot it down, read it later. It's pretty fun. Um, verse 12, he says that. So anyway, I'm not even going to quote it. I'm just going to like this little nugget for you later, a little Easter egg. Um, here's the thing. This temptation to preach a gospel that's accepted by religious people, it's very subtle. And it's in my own heart. If we're not careful and mindful, then we won't see it when it happens. See, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as revealed by the Spirit through God's authoritative word. So we talk about our identity statement of God's family on mission. We believe and preach that we are created by God and for God. And that pushes against our flesh that wants to have a religious version of being the captains of our own ship. Right? Like if I'm created by God and for God, then that means I do not, I am not the master of my own domain. And that pushes against us. We believe that we're saved not just as individuals, but for the purpose of being formed as a family, as God's people. And that pushes against religious versions of a, of a social club where I hang out with the people that I want to, the people that look like me, think like me, believe everything that I believe, and do everything just like I do. And we believe that we are sent on mission and we preach a gospel of being sent, that we are equipped and raised up to be sent out, to be salt and light in our communities. And that pushes against our religious tendencies of wanting to do the right things and see, count that as righteousness. That if I do the right rhythms and come to the right programs, 
or submit to the right worldly kingdoms. And I can call that mission while ignoring the true mission that we are given. And as we preach that gospel, some will believe and others will mock. Because their hearts have grown dull, they cannot hear with their ears or perceive with their eyes, and they miss what's right in front of them. And if we don't want to fall into that trap, then we must be on guard ourselves and not just think about other people that we think are doing that, but to be mindful ourselves. Elton Trueblood was a 20th century theologian, and he's quoted by Billy Graham as saying this, that our main mission field today, so far as America is concerned, is within the church membership itself. Billy Graham would often say things like that. The idea that the greatest mission field sits in the pews in churches across America every Sunday morning. And the thing is that we look so much, we get so distracted, and as that happens, we just we make light of those things as it seeps in. We justify our own religious thoughts. We, make, we get distracted by things. We distract ourselves with, with all kinds of activity. We distract ourselves with the sin that is outside. But as we say all the time, if we want revival out there, then it has to be dis- on display in here. It has to be. And when you invite someone to church to say, hey, come and, and see and, and observe the worship of our family, then they should see their neighbors and their coworkers and their family members changed by the gospel, radically changed. We see that common theme throughout the book of Acts. There have been many times in my life where I've been confronted with my own religious nature, my own desire to create something. If I just, okay, if I just do these things, then I'm in good shape. And some of you have been around for a long time. You may remember this. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've shared any version of this. But years ago, um, Lauren and I went to, um, this is before kids. This is a long, long time ago now. But um, we went to Central Asia, and we um, worked with the missions team there and sharing the gospel in, in Central Asia to a, a Muslim population. And there was an underground church that would meet. We went on a Sunday to an underground church. And this, this church um, met at um, basically just, let's say, let's say, an establishment of ill repute. Okay? They met at said establishment because it was the only place that could handle the kind of, um, the, the kind of ire or critical culture to allow Christians to meet there. Does that make sense? Like here in our culture, like a school could rent to a church, like a lot of you meet at a community center, all kinds of things. But in that culture, you couldn't do that. And so the only place that would let them meet was a house of ill repute. I I didn't have that in my notes. I'm pretty proud of myself for coming up with that phrasing for it. So um, kids, you can ask your parents. Um, So as we walk in and we see the kids learning the Bible lesson against a backdrop of half-drink vodka bottles all across the wall. And we go into the worship area where there's a stage where who knows what was happening 12 hours before. And they start the worship service. And very mediocre uh, musicians start playing songs that are American songs but translated in, um, to their local language. And these songs were like the oldest and cheesiest and corniest songs you could possibly imagine. And as I listened to this very mediocre band playing these very eye-roll-inducing songs, I thought, oh, this is, this is not great worship. And I looked around, and I noticed something different, though. Something different than my experience here Uh, like in in America, and what I heard were people singing loudly in their local language, singing their hearts out. And all of a sudden, I felt this, just this impression from the Holy Spirit. 
that said, you sing songs because they're entertaining. They sing songs because their very lives depend on the truth of the words they're singing. And I was convicted and cut to the heart and repented of my religious nature that I have become so dull in my heart that I couldn't see the beauty of singing these incredible words. Church, that is what we have to be on guard against all the time. Be on guard against our hearts because we are tempted to fall, in, fall into that. We're tempted to let spirit of, of confusion come in and division that we start to make things that are not a big deal make them a big deal and we start to believe the the lies of the evil one that that these things are like this is what's most important even though we know that's not what's most important and we start and we are we're tempted to do that and Paul warns them he warns the church to say this is going to happen be careful and as that happens there will be people who will take advantage of that they will capitalize on that he says in acts 20 i know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them he warns the, the Romans, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. We just want to sort of encourage you as we continue on the story of Acts as the church, because this is the story of the beginning of the church, and we are a continuation of that. That there have been some really incredible things that have happened here. We've seen people come to Christ, we have seen baptisms, we have experienced really beautiful things through communion. Understand that that is when the enemy jumps in and starts to attack. And just be on guard. Keep pursuing Jesus. Keep reminding yourself of our need for the cross. Be on guard against confusion and division. And if you wonder as you're dealing with things, if you hear anything or if you're concerned about something, if you have questions about something, you know, we just mentioned uh, three of our elder candidates, but any of the elders, that is, that's where you can go with that. We want to, to hear what you're thinking. We want to help you process that. We want to help you, like, point you to Jesus. We want to learn and realize, like, when we've done things poorly. That's, that's the encouragement. That's Paul's warning through Acts. And for those of us who have been in the church a long time, let us hear that we would, that we would have ears that would hear, that we would have eyes that would perceive, that we would turn and be healed. So Paul, at this point, this is a sad moment of him basically washing his hands of his own brothers. He says in Acts in 28, verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So Paul washes his hands, shakes the dust from his feet, and he moves on. And what we see in these last two verses is a simple, incredible summary of the life of the church, both then and now. And I think that this is a charge and a challenge to us as we move forward. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What an incredible, I mean, what's interesting about Acts is that people always talk about how it doesn't really wrap up. There's like no, it just kind of stops. 
There's no like benediction that you see in some of the other letters. It's just like this book and it just, it just stops. And I think the reason it stops is because it continues with us. Like there's theological reasons why I think it just stops where it does. However, I have to say that those last two verses are a pretty incredible summary of Paul's entire life and ministry and the ministry of the early church and also a charge to us. So look at that, verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. So we see that Paul, for, for, this, for this time, he, gives, he invests deeply in his time and radically in his, his resources. Right? He gives of his time. He devotes two years of his life to this. Which for Paul, who's a person who likes to go and go plant churches and wants to go and see all these different churches, that's an eternity. He's already been locked up for over two years and now he's got another two years that he's going to sit there and he doesn't get to go. He has to let people come to him. But it's worth it to him. Because Paul does not account his life of any value nor is precious to himself. If only that he may finish his course in the ministry that he received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So for Paul, that time is worth it to invest in that. To say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just like, whatever, I'm on call. I am here. As long as God has me here, like my life exists to declare the kingdom of God. And I just want us to say, like, as we move forward in this, like we, not only as we move forward in the story do we need to be on guard against the religiousness of our own hearts, but one of the ways to cure that, one of the ways to battle against that is to pour ourselves into what God says is valuable. Right? So anybody knows, anybody who has battled any kind of addiction or tried to break any kind of a habit knows that just breaking a habit, just stopping doing this thing, doesn't guarantee any kind of success, but you also have to then fill that with something else, right? Like if you're just going to avoid something, you can't just say, all right, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to avoid that thing that I know I'm not supposed to do. Okay, still avoiding it. Like how well does that work? It doesn't. If I tell you, we've used this before, but if I tell you, don't think of a pink elephant. Don't think of a pink elephant. Stop it. No pink elephants. All right? You're all thinking about pink elephants or you're asleep right now. All right? Those are the only two options. The only way you can stop now thinking about pink elephant or stop thinking about a song, I was going to put a song in your head, but I like you too much for that. I figured a pink, ele- pink elephant is way less annoying than getting a song um, stuck in your head. So, but if you get a song stuck in your head or anything like that, the only way to really be free of that is to set your mind on something else. Right? And that's what's going on with Paul. He's saying like this warning of, hey, this reminder thing to us. Don't let religiousness hold you back from the gospel. But he's like, you can't just avoid that. You've you got to pour yourself in. I think God is communicating to us through this passage. Like pour yourself into something else. And for Paul, he pours himself into proclaiming the kingdom. He invests his time. If you want to see something great happen here in the next year, in your life, in the life of this church, then we need to invest time. To make the ministry that God has given you, the thing around you, uh, which the, the rest of your life revolves. Like to make that ministry he's given you, to make that thing, like this is how my life, this is what I revolve my life around. Like think about this. Um, we've been recently trying to block out our calendar, which is a, which is a difficult task. We try to look at our months and, and even our year, but we try to look at like our months and like three months in ahead and just look at our calendar and try to block time. And the question is, when you do that, if you were to do that, if you were to say, okay, I'm going to take the next three months of my life and I'm going to block out time, what would go in that calendar first? What things would you say, well, this, this goes in first? And probably for most of us, it's, it's you know, if there's work responsibilities, it's probably going to go in there first. But then what starts to go in there after that? And for so many of us, if we're just honest with ourselves, we just kind of take a step back and we drop any defensiveness and we realize we're all in the same boat, we're all in this together, we would say for a lot of us, the ministry that God has called us to, boldly proclaiming of the kingdom, like that's the thing that kind of, we try to fit in the cracks. We try to fit in the spaces. Well, if I have time, I'd love to do that if I had time. I'd love to do this if I, if I had time. 
Ministry takes time. I'm not talking, by the way, about the programs of the church. I'm talking about true ministry and investment in the church family. It takes time. And if you look at the bookend here of Paul investing this time, and remember way back, remember Acts 2? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. We talked about this like almost a year ago. Like, do you want to see that? And one of the things that's so exciting about this is I feel like God has done that in so many ways. We have seen so many things that we prayed for. I hope you see that. I hope if you remember that message a long time ago and talking about this passage, if you remember praying that God would do something amazing and think about in that time what he has done. Like think about the things that have happened around the communion table and the baptismals, like in in your lives. Like I keep getting texts. This week I got several texts and phone calls from people who are doing incredible things out in the community and just asking for encouragement, asking for help, asking for prayers. It is amazing. But we want to do that more and more. And it takes time. If you want to follow Jesus and if you want to experience the risen Christ, if you want to experience the abundant life he has for you, it will not happen in your spare time. It just won't. And so ask the question, what would it look like this year to invest that kind of time in your faith? To invest in being God's family on mission. Like maybe, maybe it's a small step. Maybe it's starting with just getting up 20 minutes earlier every day so that you can really just stop and reflect and meet God in his word and pray. Or maybe it is like taking... Sunday mornings back and just Sunday and saying, you know what? Sunday mornings to be with the church family. And so we're going we're gonna to go early and we're going to stay late and we're going to minister to whoever God has for us. Or maybe it's having somebody over for dinner and making time for them, blocking time out on the calendar. Like maybe it's just saying, hey, I mean, this, this is just a random idea. It's one that Lauren and I have done before and we've talked about But just blocking out, like what would it look like to block out four evenings in a month or two evenings or one evening in a month and just say, on this evening, I'm going to make extra dinner and I'm going to make a list of people that I've wanted to connect with and I'm just going to start going down the list from most favorite to least favorite. (laughs) Don't post that list on Facebook. Don't put that. But just start going down the list. Say, all right, I'm going to invite this family. I'm going to invite this. Oh, they can't make it? I'm going to invite this family. We psych ourselves out so well, they're, they're going to be busy. Fine. Have 20 names on that list. I'm guessing one of them isn't busy. I'm guessing one of them, maybe the one that God has for you, is probably the person that's sitting there thinking, holy cow, I have no idea what we're going to do for dinner tonight. And then you call or text and say, hey, do you want to come over for dinner? We have extra. And watch what God does. It takes, it takes time. It's not going to happen in the spare time. It takes money. Notice he says it's at his own expense. Paul didn't want to be a burden on the the people he was sharing the gospel with. And so he kind of, he took care of himself first by tent making, but then the support of other churches. He says to the church in Corinth, when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening, burdening you in any way. So notice Paul is supported by the other people that he had ministered to. That's the way that works. Like the church gives to support the ministry. Just like we saw in Acts 2, that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So if we want to see the gospel spread here in our area, then it's going to take financial support and giving and generosity. Jesus speaks about money a lot. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
There's a reason why Jesus talks so much about money. And it's because nothing demonstrates belief quite like what we do with our money. That's why he says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can say a lot of things, right? And we can, we can do, we can say a lot of things, we can make some stances, we can vote a certain way, we can do all kinds of things. But what we do with our money says a lot about what we value. It says a lot about what we value in, in, in our hobbies or in like what we value in, in our home, what we spend money on in our houses, like what we spend, like everything. Like it says what we value for better and for worse. And I'm not afraid to say that. Because if you've been here long, you know that our desire is not to like guilt people into giving. We have offering boxes at the back doors. We don't pass a plate. We, we encourage guests to like, you're a guest. But if you are a member here, if this is your church family, then the Bible talks extensively about the importance of giving and supporting that. And, and I have to say that this year has demonstrated a lot of that for many of you. Like there's, it's been really incredible to see. Did you know, like, like just real talk for a second, those who have been here a long time know that um, we are, like our attendance is not what it was when, when I first got here, which by the way, I warned people. I said, they're really gonna like me at first and that's not gonna last. Um, and so if you're new here, just fair warning, um, you might like me right now. But here's the thing, this church in September, we had the biggest giving September that we've ever had. Total dollar amount. Now, what does that tell you? My mom was a math teacher, so she would really want me to analyze the statistics of this. But let's just say that that means the per capita giving, that means people are giving more generously, more sacrificially. And that is great news. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're not a part of that, like I, just so you know, I don't know. I don't know who, like they don't, they keep me far away from the money, all right? We have systems that are set up that are really great, that they've been set up for a long time. But the thing is that that's part of this joy of faith and seeing God do something because it tests our faith. It lets us be a part of things. It releases our love and our love of control and wanting to be our own God by saying like, look, I'm just gonna give. And so maybe for you this year, that's a commitment to tithing. Or maybe it's like giving and saying, you know what, I need to give and support the church. We're generous in other places, but I want to I give, I need to give first to, to my church family. And then we see this in verse 30. It says, all, he welcomed all who came to him. Listen, listen to this. We don't know who all came to Paul, but what we know is that he welcomed all who came to him. And this is critical. Paul didn't welcome just certain types of people. Paul followed in the footsteps of Jesus, welcoming all who came to him. And in a culture that has different castes, different society, different like hierarchies, that's a big deal. So Paul, like Jesus, had a reputation for hanging out with those that the world did not value, those who were different than him. And this was the power of the early church. Remember, as we saw early in the early church, one of the things that the world could not explain was how these people from these different backgrounds could come together and act like family. They didn't understand that. They couldn't make sense of that. Jesus addresses this when he talks about like, well, so you love those who love you. What good is that? Like even the Gentiles do that. Which I always love thinking about Gentiles hearing that, being like, hey man, we're just sitting here. But like, that's, the, that's the idea. It's like, great, okay. We're always really good, and often in the church, we love to point out how strong our community is by how kind we are to people who are kind to us. Big deal. Everybody does that. I don't know anybody who isn't kind to people who are kind back to them, who give them something back. But Jesus says, you're different because you'll love those who hate you. You'll love those and pray for those who persecute you. You'll love people who are different than you, who don't have anything that they can give back. He told a parable in Luke 14, where he tells them, when you give a, when you give 
a dinner or a banquet. Do not invite your friends or brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He goes on and, and says, A man once gave a great banquet, invited many, and at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. So here's what's going on with this that he is proclaiming over and over again and he does in this parable. He says like, look, you want to look like the church and like the kingdom? Invite those who can't give you anything back. Love those who don't love you back. Serve those who won't serve you or even say thank you. Because why? Because that's how God loves us. Because I did not ask Jesus to die for me. I didn't even know I needed that because I was dead in my sin. I didn't even ask Jesus to accept me because he, before I even had anything in me, he gave me faith to see him for who he is. So likewise, we do the same. And we get formed as this family that says, we don't care what your status is. We don't care what we have to give. By the way, that happens in big things that we can imagine, but also in far more subtle ways. Because let me tell you this, if you're looking for a church that will just be group you with people who are in the same life stage, who like to do all the same things as you, who look like you, who speak your same language, who enjoy all the same hobbies, this isn't it. We find the greatest riches of family are when you are in, with, in community with people who are nothing like you. Now, that's not to say that we don't need to support one another in similar life stages, and we definitely do that. We want to connect you with people. Or like, It's great when you're a young mom to see, like, find other young moms. When you're approaching retirement, it's really good for you to connect with other people who are following Jesus in retirement so you can learn what that's like. When you're a teenager, like, we want you to be around other teenagers who are pursuing Jesus. That is good, but that does not make family. Family, by definition, has multiple generations, multiple life stages, Right? If you have, if you have a, a home that has all the same age people in it, that's called an orphanage right? or a retirement home. Those are not families. This is family. And by the way, as we've mentioned a few times, some of our family are in retirement homes and cannot physically make it here. So we need to be mindful of that. In the kingdom, everyone's invited. So I'd ask you, in that, who do you need to welcome into the family? Who do you need to invite? Maybe you work with somebody, you're around somebody, you're like, man, it's weird, like we're not at the same life stage, and I have nothing in common with them. Well, you could pray for them, and you could invite them. Which, by the way, in that banquet, when he says that all those people, he invited all the people you'd think he would invite, and then they all had excuses. We tend to get it in our head that God, who God is going to bring through us, but we don't know. The people God is reaching in your life right now are the people who respond to the call. I'm just going to say that again in case you've tuned out. The people God is reaching in your life are not the people that you think are closest. They're not the people that you maybe it would be on the top of your list of who you want to sit next to in church or who you would want to have join your small group or who you think God could use in mighty ways. The people God is reaching through you are the people who respond to the call. When Jesus followed, got the disciples to follow him, he said, come and follow me. And the ones who followed him were the cult. So you don't know who's going to respond. Our job is to make the call, to make the invitation, to display the fruit of the Spirit and welcome all who come. So not only inviting people, but then welcoming people. And we've had a lot of new people over the last year. Who are you welcoming? Are you connecting with them? Are you induce, introducing yourself? Is there somebody that you've noticed here now a few weeks in a row and you've thought for a few weeks in a row, I should go over and introduce myself? Ah, no, you know what? Not today. Not today. Well, maybe today then. If it happens three weeks in a row, let's just go ahead and agree that's probably the Holy Spirit. He's very stubborn. So go and welcome people. Love the people who are right in front of you. 
And then finally in verse 31, he says, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shorten this one because we talk about this one all the time. Okay, so we proclaim the kingdom of God and we wanna teach about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. But here's the part, this is the one part I think is valuable enough to, to address. He says, without hindrance. We talk about boldly proclaiming the gospel. We talk about what the gospel is, that you are called to do that. I'm called to do that. I'm called to preach like that. But the question, he says, it says without hindrance. And I tried to figure out what does that mean in Paul's life? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know which, hind- which things could possibly hinder him. But I thought about what are our hindrances? What hinders you? Wouldn't that be awesome to proclaim the gospel? We often talk about boldly, like it would be awesome, but wouldn't it be awesome to proclaim the gospel without hindrance, without being hindered in any way? What hinders you? Is it that you feel like you don't know the Bible well enough? Is it that you're worried about what others will think? You're distracted by other things? Whatever it is, how, what would it look like to address those things and to say, I don't want that to be a hindrance anymore. So I'm going to really be in God's word. I'm going to surround myself with people in community who are going to encourage me. I'm going to, be, I'm going to focus my life on what matters most. What hinders you? I've heard so many stories from so many people talking about these things that hinder them and some of the stuff just keeps coming up again and again. One of the things that I've heard again and again, and so I apologize if, this is, if you've had this conversation with me, again, trust me, this is not just about you. I'm not just like, oh, I'm just gonna preach to you about this. It's happened so many times. And that is this. If you're older in here and you're saying things like, I can't do all the things I used to be able to do. I don't have the energy that I used to have. I don't have the physical ability that I used to have. Listen to me. You are a treasure. So be a treasure. Like maybe, maybe that looks like what Paul's talking about. Imagine, all the, imagine if Paul sat there and he's like, I don't know how I can minister to people. I used to go and make tents and share the gospel and be in the temple and travel from city to city to city. I always was doing all of that. Like how in the world can I be useful? He was useful because he sat there and he welcomed all who came to him. And he proclaimed boldly the gospel without hindrance. Maybe that's what this season of life looks like for you. To say, to let us know, to say, hey, you know what? I'm just available to encourage people. Like, I'm just hanging out. I can't really go many places. But if you have a, a young mom who's discouraged, I would love to just sit on her porch and drink tea and encourage her. If you've got a young man who's struggling with addiction, like I'd love to just sit and let him know that I'm in his corner. How amazing would that be? What hinders you? I thought about like our, our teenagers. We've mentioned this before, but we have teenagers right now that at Peshtigo High School that pray, they gather every morning to pray for their school and for their student, for their fellow students. And they're serving as a witness right now to the teachers in that school and to other students. It's incredible. You say, like, what does that look like when you have to get rid of the hindrance of worrying about what other people think about you? Any of you, when you were a teenager, worry about what other people thought of you? Right. <laughs> Liars. It was like half of you were like, not me. Yes, you did. Whatever. Unless you were homeschooled, then you probably didn't. Uh, they're always immune to that. Um, but like if, you're, if you're there, like you know what that's like. And we see people like setting aside their hindrances of that and going in and saying, you know what, I'm going to pray. Like, what would it look like then to invite people? Or if you're a young family and the hindrance is time, and you're like, we're just so busy and so overwhelmed. What would it look like to invite people into that busyness, into the chaos of your life, and just saying, well, this is who we are. We're trying to follow Jesus in the midst of changing diapers and cleaning up barf at 3 a.m. and whatever. Like, but that's what we're doing. That's our life. I'm going to follow Jesus in the midst of it. Stop waiting. Stop waiting. Well, one day things will calm down and then I'll be able to minister. Ask Ask the 70-year-old sitting around you if those things ever calm down and you ever feel like you got all the time in the world to do everything that God calls you to do, because you don't. All right, no. (laughs) Thank you, 70-year-olds. I know, I was going to say, you're not quite 70. 70 is the new 40. Um, 
derail. Let's land this plane. Ultimately, here's the thing. Whatever's hindering you, whatever's hindering you, God wants you to get rid of it for the good of the church and for the gospel and for this family. And this is the simplicity of ministry. Paul is just like this beautiful, after all the stories we've heard, after everything that's happened in the book of Acts, it's two simple verses. He invested time. He gave his money. He welcomed all that God brought to him. And he proclaimed boldly the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ without hindrance. His story is our story from now until when Jesus takes us home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have done in us and through us. God, I thank you for this past year of going through the book of Acts. Just being reminded that these were common, uneducated people from all different walks of life. Like some of them were common and uneducated. Some of them were doctors. Some of them were schooled in the best religious schools. But through all of them, you did incredible works. And so God, I ask that you do that again here. Let us see that this coming year. There are people, God, that this year that you are working to save. Let us be a part of it. There are people that you want to welcome into your family. Let us be the ones that get to welcome them and make them a part of our family. There are things that you want to do in this area. Let us be the ones that give radically of our time and our money to make those things happen. God, help us. Forgive us as we sin against you and forgive us as we sin against one another and we fall short and we let people down. God, let us see the beauty of this family, that we belong to you, that we are your family, and that we are sent on a mission. God, you do that for your glory and that we would receive unending joy. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.